Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If y'all will stand, we're going to sing together. This is just a great song to uh, sort of as our mission here on Sunday mornings uh, to meet with our God and meet with each other. So let's sing this out together as a church. Yeah, y'all can feel free to clap if you like to. Alright, let's sing it out. I'm here to meet with you. Hey, I'm going 
loving us so much that you gave your son to die for us. And Jesus, thank you for your willingness to endure pain and suffering that none of us can even imagine. Thank you for being our Savior and for being a Savior that we can identify with as human because you know what it's like to be hungry, to be thirsty. You know what the feeling a hard day's work can bring to a body. You know what it was like to have roughened hands, sore feet. And Lord, uh, we just love you so much that you came to earth as a human being and then in turn saved us. Thank you for that love that you've given us. Pray all these things in your son's name.
Fill my life 
Amen. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you will help us to take refuge in you. God, as the storms of life rage, Lord, help us to trust you as our stronghold, God. Father, I pray that you will help us to be a people who, God, put your love into action. God, help us to know you and know more about your love through this, uh, through this sermon. God, help us to open your word. And God, help us to pay attention and put it into action. In your name I pray. Amen. Good morning again. Thank you. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Thanks. A lot of support here. Um, if y'all could open up your Bibles to Hebrews, we are going to now enter into Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some black Bibles under the chairs, and we are on page 1,000 in uh, those black Bibles. We've been calling our series A Better Savior. And uh, when I name a series, I do that for my benefit to kind of help me focus and understand where we're going with the whole series. Um, but also for your benefit, I want to kind of give you a, a spine to connect things to as we study through this. Um, and one of the names that I almost used was pay attention. And that's because of a verse that we'll see this week in chapter 2 where he says, pay closer attention. Don't neglect this great salvation that we have in Jesus. And that's a theme that's going to come back again and again in the book of Hebrews. And so really what you have is you have this, this concept of Jesus being the better Savior. He's better than any other Savior that you might be tempted to fall back to, right? And we've talked about that. That just like in the uh, first century, the 21st century is the same way in which we think we can trust in other things, right? We think we can trust some other Savior, some other place of safety. Maybe it's an old habit that you have. Maybe it's an old environment that you want to run back to. But we all have these practical saviors that we want to lean on. And the author of Hebrews is saying again and again, Jesus is the better savior. Trust him. And so because he's a better savior, pay attention to who he is and what he says. And so this theme will, will kind of bounce back and forth again and again. Last week as we closed out chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is, is better than everything. He's a better savior. He's glorious. He is God himself. He's better than the angels. He's a better messenger. And so then at the beginning of chapter 2, it said, so pay attention. And then the rest of chapter 2, he'll say, also, he's a better human. He, he's a better human. He's like the, the way that Adam should have been, right? Adam failed. We all now fail in Adam. We follow in Adam's footsteps. We choose death instead of life, just as Adam did. But Jesus is the better Adam. If you want to look into the theology of this, you could look at Romans chapter 5 sometime during the week, and I would encourage you to look that up. It talks about how in Adam we all die, but in Christ we all have life. And so we're either, we're either under the headship, the leadership of Adam, or under the headship and leadership of Jesus. So the author of Hebrews is going to keep hitting this again and again. Pay attention. Pay attention to what Jesus says. Pay attention to who Jesus is, that he is a better Savior. And, and so we're going to read those first four verses together in chapter Two, and then after that, we're going to kind of pick apart the rest of chapter 2 and understand why the author of Hebrews is saying that because Jesus is a better human, a better man, a better Adam, we should pay attention to him. We should listen closely to what he says. We shouldn't drift away. So read with me chapter 2. 
we'll look at verses 1 through 4, uh, and then we'll kind of break it into pieces after that as we get through this whole chapter. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Saying Jesus already gave us this great salvation. He already spoke of it. When He was here on the earth, He said, come to Me. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, the doors are being opened. Come follow Me and I will lead you in. So Jesus proclaimed this great salvation. He encouraged people to come to Him, to follow Him into the kingdom. And then He gave that message to His disciples, His apostles, to share that. And it uses courtroom language here. It says God bore witness by signs and wonders to say, yes, these apostles are for real. You need to listen to them. So signs and wonders aren't something uh, for our fun and our excitement, but it's something to authenticate the message, to help us to understand that what we have is a reliable message here from the apostles, from Jesus himself. And so he's saying, pay attention to the message. Because if the message that the angels gave was good, and probably you may be thinking, the angels gave a message in the Old Testament? The, the Jews all, all agreed and all understand that that the, the angels were constantly the messengers of God, bringing the Ten Commandments to Moses. They were there, you know, in their mindset, and uh, they were always there interceding. They were the messengers, and so we get those particular stories where an angel would come and bring the message. But even in other places where we don't get those details, the Jews would understand that, yeah, the angels were a part of that. They were a part of how the message got to mankind. And so he's saying, because Jesus is better than the angels, then pay attention to him. Pay attention to what he says. He is the better messengers. We saw that last week. He's the message itself. He embodies the message in his life and death and resurrection for us. So all this is, is pushing us to pay attention, to listen, so that we don't drift away. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, we'll then unpack why Jesus is a better human, that why that should make us listen to him as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you'd help us to, to follow it today. It's complex. But also it's very simple. We've all failed. Adam failed. Uh, but Jesus succeeded. So Lord, I pray for those that are here for the, for the first time maybe beginning to understand that we need to trust in you and we can't trust in ourselves. I pray that you would give them life and ears to hear and to pay attention to who you are. Lord, for those of us that already know that, but we tend to drift back to our old saviors, I pray that, pray that you would help us to, to pay close attention, to trust in you, to have life and health and salvation in you and who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was helping a youth pastor attach a trailer to his truck. I was only 19 years old. I don't think I'd ever attached a trailer to anything. Um, so I wasn't real good at it necessarily, but I remember um, being impressed with myself, you know, that I was able to lift up one end of the trailer, and so he was kind of letting me do it all, right? He's kind of standing there watching, and I put the trailer hitch over the ball on the back of the truck, and uh, he asked me, did you latch it? And I said, yes, because there was a little lever, and I moved it, and it clicked, right? So in my mind, the trailer was latched, and so then we got in the truck, and we started driving down the street. And about the, the moment we got up to cruising speed, we also hit a bump 
And then you heard this sound that it's this screeching metal sound you never want to hear when you're in a vehicle, right? I don't know if y'all have heard that sound before. But it's just like, and so we're kind of startled. He slows down his truck, and we both look out behind the truck and see the trailer now overtaking us, just speeding by us on the ground, you know, scraping along the pavement. It speeds by us. It hits a curb. It runs over a neighbor's mailbox and digs the trench through the front of their yard. Thankfully, it didn't take out the house. It kind of stopped right at the bushes, you know. Um, and, and at that moment, I was, I was wishing that, wishing I was a better human and, and knew how to pitch a trailer, but I was really wishing that I'd paid more careful attention to what he said. Did you latch it? No, something clicked. I guess I latched it. I thought I did, but, but I wasn't really careful to pay attention to that, and disaster ensued. And, and the author of Hebrews is telling us that if, if we don't pay attention, if we're not careful to listen to this salvation that's offered in Jesus, our life is going to go terribly wrong. We are going to go off track. Disaster is going to happen. I want to assure you we did make it right to those people that lived in the house. We let them know and took care of it later. But the author here is saying, pay attention. Pay attention and make sure you are careful to hear the salvation that's offered in Jesus and in Jesus alone. This salvation, this life, and this health. And as I said, this is going to be a theme again and again throughout the book of Hebrews. He's going to keep calling us back to this. And a lot of people like to to argue and debate over, well, is it, is it possible then to lose your salvation? Because he's saying to pay attention, and he's talking to people that we think already have found salvation in Jesus. And, and we're going to get into that more as we get to later passages. There are more difficult passages that make that a little more difficult to understand. But what I would say is our foundation is that uh, once you are in Jesus, nothing can snatch you out of his hands. That's the promises that we have from the Gospel of John. But I do think there's this habit that Christians have of drifting from him. That may not mean you've abandoned him and you no longer believe in him, but you begin to maybe trust in your old habits again. You maybe begin to uh, lead a life that leads to death and leads to pain again because you've started to drift. And so this is a reminder, a caution to us that he's the only salvation we have. Don't run to those other places of safety. Don't run back to those other saviors that you've trusted in in the past, but continue to trust in Jesus. Because as we saw last week, he's the better messenger saw the week before, he's the better Savior. He's better than everybody, right? He is God. And this week we're going to understand what uh, the ancient creeds of the Christian church testified to, that he is both fully God, but he is also fully man. He is the better human. So just as we failed, Jesus succeeded. So he took our place. He is our substitute. So we're going to break this apart as we look at these following verses after that, that admonishment, that exhortation to listen, pay attention to him, and then the author starts saying, Pay attention to him because of this, okay? In verses 5 through 8, it says it this way. It says that he is going to bring in a human paradise. Read with me, verse 5. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. The world to come, the future world that we look forward to, you may call it heaven, you may call it paradise, you may think of it when, when everything's finally the way it's supposed to be, Right? It's not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. He's drawing back and saying, that's what I'm talking about. When I talk about this salvation, I'm talking about this world to come. Verse 6 says, it has been testified somewhere, and specifically it's in Psalm 8, but it's been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
So there's this great promise here in the Psalms talking about how humanity has been made lower than the angels. Some translations say a little lower and other translations say for a little while lower than the angels. But that ultimately we look forward to this day when we will rule and reign. We look forward to this world to come when everything will be made right. When we're no longer living in fear of death, when we're no longer making stupid choices, when we're no longer hurting the ones we love and making bad decisions, but we're, we're living rightly. We're living the way we were made to live. We are ruling and reigning. And this goes back to what we were created for in Genesis 1 and 2. When you look at Genesis 1 and 2, it's, it's clear that God created mankind to rule and to reign and to be fruitful and multiply and, and multiply His goodness from the Garden of Eden out across the whole world. And that's the call on mankind. But none of us really fulfill that, do we? None of us really fulfill Psalm 8. And we're still yearning for that world to come. We're still looking forward to that world to come when everything's made right. When humans are no longer doing the stupid stuff that we do, that we see all around us. Sometimes we look out and say, you know, it's the bad people over there. Sometimes we're honest and we look inside and say, it's, it's me too. But humanity is broken. We are all followers of Adam. Just like Adam and Eve, we choose what is wrong. And we choose death instead of choosing to live as children of God. And what the author is beginning to say here is that, you know what? Those psalms that talk about a redeemed humanity and humans conquering and ruling and reigning, those promises we don't see yet, those are fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is the better human. That paradise that we look forward to of, of a restored humanity, Jesus is the restoration of that. He, he's the first. He's the beginner. He's the one that starts that because he has conquered death because he lived the perfect life that we're supposed to live. He lived with that full glory. You know, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we, we need to remind ourselves that sin is not just a list or breaking a commandment. But in Matthew 5, Jesus says that, that sin is, is falling short of any of the glory of God's original intention. Right? If you're not living a perfect, glorious life, conquering the world with goodness and love and everything you do, that's sin. Anything less than that glory and perfection that God created for us, that's sin. But Jesus fulfills it. Jesus is the fulfillment of that human paradise that we look forward to. There's this picture I found here of, you know, someone's idea of paradise, right? I don't know if you've ever been someplace like that. Um, for me, my idea would be more of the mountains. We love, my wife and I love to go to the mountains. Uh, for you, it's probably, you know, it's different places for different people. But, but in these kinds of experiences, when you go to these places, when you have uh, kind of a, a place that's so beautiful or... Or I, I like to joke, you know, fajitas with guacamole or whatever it may be for you. Maybe it's sushi or, you know, what, whatever it is, you get a taste of the way things are supposed to be, right? Maybe it's dark chocolate, you know. I don't know. Ladies, maybe you can connect with that. Um, it, it, you get these little glimpses, right? When your relationship is working, right? Those, those just moments when you're clicking, when everything is just cool with your spouse and and everything's just wonderful, or with your kids, or you, we get these little tastes. But, but that's not where we live day to day, is it? We don't live in paradise. We get little glimpses of paradise. We can see the glory that creation was made for. We have this hope that creation is supposed to be glorious, that it is supposed to be perfect. But that's not where we live. And that's what he says in the second half of verse 8. Most of our Bibles here have that broken off in a separate paragraph. It says, now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. 
He's saying this is this glorious world to come where everything's going to be made right and it's all going to be in subjection to Jesus and subjection to a, a ruling and reigning humanity that does all things right. But that's not what we see yet, is it? That's not where we live. He says we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But, but, and this is, this is one place where I don't like the ESV reading. I prefer the NIV if you're looking at that one. The NIV, it says, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. We, we don't see everything perfect yet, do we? We don't see that paradise. We're not there yet. We get glimpses of it, but we're not there yet. But it says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That, that's the promise, that's the deposit that we have. So that when we see God with faith, we're trusting in that world to come. It, it's coming. That world is coming. That paradise is coming. That human paradise that we're looking forward to, Jesus, Jesus purchased it. He, he tasted death for everyone. We see him crowned with glory and honor because he was willing to give himself up for us. He was willing to enter into the brokenness of this world that's not paradise. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And, and take that on and conquer it. And, and give himself the perfect life that we should have lived. Give that to us. So that by faith, God applies his perfection to us. So that God can see you as perfect as his own child. And delight in you. And see you as beautiful and as brave and everything that you should be. He sees you by adoption through Jesus as that perfect child. He delights in you. Because Jesus was willing to suffer and die and to take your sin upon himself and give his righteousness to you. So that if you trust in that and cling to that and pay careful attention to Jesus, you can see him. So when it talks about we see Jesus, he's, he's not talking about first generation disciples here. He's talking about people just like us that have heard of Jesus and know of what he's done, but we can only see him by faith. We see what he's done by hearing through the word and by the Holy Spirit helping us to have eyes to see that God truly does care for us and he gave himself for us. So in the midst of the brokenness and the pain and, and everything being wrong in our lives day to day, we can by faith see him. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to trust. He's calling us to see him, to picture Jesus in the midst of, of the brokenness that we live in. In the pain, right? Things, things go wrong. Things go terribly wrong. I'm sitting in the emergency room yesterday with a family whose son... Uh, was in a terrible motorcycle accident. And they don't know if he's going to survive, and, and still don't, and we're praying for him. But, but it's a glimpse that things are terribly wrong. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We, we pray for a, a friend in the church who has a brain tumor. That, that's not the way things are supposed to be. We're not supposed to be sick. We're not supposed to be broken. But it's a reminder that we're not there yet. My son has recently been diagnosed uh, with some kind of problem in his back, and we're still trying to figure out what it was. But the first diagnosis we've gotten so far is that he should not do any of the sports and do any of the things that he loves anymore. And that hurts, right? When, when we come face to face with that, that brokenness and that pain of a world not being the way that we want it to be, not being that paradise that we long for it to be. And I want to encourage you that when those moments come, because they come for all of us, that come at all of us. In those moments, our call is to see Jesus. To see him and trust that he is crowned with glory and honor. That even though we don't yet see that world subject to him, we trust that it is. We trust that he is ruling and reigning because he gave himself 
for us because of the cross, because God didn't stay on his throne remote from this world, but he entered into the suffering and the pain that we live with every day. He entered into that and gave himself for us to, to transform this world. And the time we live in now is the time of patiently waiting and trying to see Jesus by faith as the victor, as, as the one crowned with glory and honor, trusting that that human paradise is, is going to come, that someday everything will be made right. There will be this new heavens and new earth and transformation that the Bible promises. Someday that's going to be complete. And Peter says that in this time God is being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but waiting for more to see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because he was willing to taste death for everyone. That's the time we live in. We live in the time of God's patience of waiting for more to see him. And so our job is to see him and to then maybe share that with other people. To say, look at, look at Jesus. He, he entered in. He's conquered this world for us. That's our job. Paul says in Philippians, and this is, I love this section of Philippians. I go back to it again and again. If you've been here long, you've probably heard me say this. But Paul talks about how, how much happier he would be to be dead and in heaven with Jesus. And a lot of times as Christians, we think that we're supposed to put on this happy face that, no, this world is just great and we're supposed to just be happy all the time. And if you love Jesus enough, this world is easy. No, and that's not what Paul says. Paul says, no, having faith in Jesus encourages him that, that Jesus has left him here to share that glory with other people, to tell people, to serve other people, to suffer on behalf of other people. So Paul says, I'm not, I'm not ready yet to be free of the suffering because God has me here in this broken world to suffer a little longer because of his patient plan to restore this world and call on others to see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because he was willing to taste death for everyone. The next thing that we see is that Jesus is a human champion. He's going to bring in that human paradise that we're looking for, that world to come that we're longing for, and he's also a human champion. He really does conquer, just like it said. He is crowned with glory. He did conquer death. Verse 10 says it this way, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This word founder is a great word. It means like initiator, trailblazer, pioneer. It means the, the champion, the prince, the hero that defeats the enemies and then calls the rest of the team to follow. He should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And just a theological note, the word perfect in the Bible doesn't mean uh, without sin, so that it's uh, implying here that he had sin and then he, then he became without sin, because that's how we usually use it in English, right? Perfect means mistake-free or without sin. Uh, in the Bible, really, the word means complete. It means it, it's gotten there. It's, it's become everything it's supposed to be, fully, uh, full fruition, right? It's achieved what it was supposed to achieve. And so he's talking about how in space and time, Jesus achieved and completed the work that he was given to complete. And he achieved that through suffering. Verse 11, For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So this champion is leading others with him. Again, it's not just a hero that, that fights out there on the battlefield far away from us, but it's the hero that leads us. And we, we fight too, but he leads us, and he's the one that we know is, is bringing the victory. Right? It's like on a team. If you've ever played on a team and you had a superstar, there's, there's superstars that are all about themselves, right? And then there's superstars that make the team better. 
And Jesus is that superstar that works with the team and makes everybody else on the team better. And he brings all of us along in his train. It says in verse 12, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And he's alluding to these psalms where uh, we, again, have visions of some kind of human king that will actually conquer and bring us along with him. That there will be some kind of victory and we'll be a part of that. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So it's this promise of a champion that's, that's not like uh, Hercules. Here's the champion they would have thought of in their day, right? That this word, this Greek word, archegon, would have been used for, for Hercules. It would have been used for other heroes of the day. You know, we talked about how for the Jews, the angels would have been like their demigods or their Hercules-type characters for the Jews, kind of in the, in the Jewish mythology and how they thought about things, you know, the comic books of their, of their day. Well, the Greeks had Hercules, and, and we all have these different heroes, but again, it's this stress that Jesus is a different kind of champion. He's the human champion that brings us along with him. We don't just watch him do these great things in a story and go, wow, isn't he cool, but he brings us with him. He talks about this idea of the congregation. I'll tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. He is our, our trailblazer. I think a great illustration of what Jesus has done would be like the firemen on 9-11 who led people out of the burning building but gave their own life in the process. And what's awesome about Jesus is that then he rose from the dead and he conquered death. Not only was he willing to give himself, but then he came out the other side. But again, this is not the kind of champion that, that just draws attention to himself, but he's the kind of champion that leads us with him. I've, I don't know if you're like me. I, I think you are. I think I'm somewhat normal human, but I, I think I've been let down by people a lot, and that's probably had an effect on how I see the world. Any of you ever been let, by, let down by someone? Anybody? A few. Okay. I, I think what that can do is that can kind of twist us in two different ways. That can kind of bend you in one way or bend you in the other. And one way, if you've been let down by people, is then the pain is just so hard and the suffering is so frustrating that you will begin to sideline yourself from really entering into the arena of battle of life. Because as I said, this world of brokenness and suffering, this is, this is the world of pain and childbearing, right? This is the world of thorns and thistles and work. So all of us, no matter where our zone is, where we work, where we struggle, we are all in a fight. It's a broken world. It's not the paradise that we want it to be. And, and we want to be champions, but because we know our own weakness and because maybe other people have hurt us, we tend to, we tend to sideline ourselves. And you may go to, you know, drugs, you may go to alcohol, you may go to porn or to old habits or, or bad relationships. I, I don't know what it is that you may go to, but we often try to just self-medicate and try to just kind of cover over the pain, right, if you've been let down by people. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like to hurt and to be let down by someone. I think the other side is we, we determine in our minds I'm not going to let that stop me. I can't trust anybody, so I'm going to do it myself. I'm just going to be stronger than the next guy, right? And that's more, you know, you kind of got the victim side and then you kind of got the conquering side. I'm going to just pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to beat everybody and I'm going to be better than everybody. And you may succeed and you may be pushing ahead, but then these roots of bitterness and anger start to flash out, right? Because everyone's letting you down and nobody's as good as you are. And I think we have an alternative in Jesus, recognizing that he is the trailblazer. So not going to the extreme of thinking that we can do life on our own 
or the extreme of giving up, right? Because he doesn't want you to give up just because life is hard. He wants you to fight, but he doesn't want you to fight thinking that it's all on your back. He, he wants you to fight as if you're following this champion who is winning the battle for you so that you're, you're going out in confidence. So whether you're facing the pain of childbearing or facing the thorns and thistles of work and everyday life, whatever you're facing in the brokenness of life, you, you have some confidence because this trailblazer is going before you. This champion is leading the way for you. You know that he's conquered sin and death. You know that he's taken away your fear. You know that you can, you can trust in him. Well, the last thing that we see with Jesus is that he's a human priest. What is a priest? A priest is basically someone who intercedes for us, right? Someone who, who helps bring us to God. Someone who tries to heal us. Someone who tries to help us. Someone who tries to uh, relate to us in our difficulty and our pain and bring us to the solution to the help that God can provide. In verse 14, it says it this way. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So the idea is that he, he did this for us so we don't have to be afraid anymore, so that you can live differently, right? So you don't live in fear anymore of death, but like Paul, you think, well, yeah, death would be great, then everything would be right. You have this kind of radical fearlessness where you're, you're ready to face the grave, you're ready to taste death, and you know that the only reason God has left you here is for the blessing and for the benefit of others. He's left you here because he has work for you to do. He wants to give you, you to give yourself to others and, and not live your life in fear anymore to the devil who has the power of death, who's always speaking those lies to you and telling you to be afraid and telling you to be careful and to watch out and to be worried and to be filled with shame and to be filled with guilt. He says, no, he's conquered that. He's taken away the fear of death, and that's really the only weapon the devil has against us. Verse 15 says, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So are you walking in freedom? Do you see yourself as a child of God who's taken care of by him so that you can live life with that kind of fearlessness? Or are you living your life in slavery to fear? Always fearful about how you're being raided. Always fearful about what might happen if you mess up, if you do things wrong. Or do you have a freedom knowing that he took the full sting of death and he took the punishment that you deserve. So you, now you're free. Not free to indulge in sin, but free to give yourself away for others. To be a blessing, to serve, and to help. Verse 16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He's referencing here a, a, a quote in Isaiah 41, just talking about the amazing act of God giving himself to help humanity in their brokenness. You know, when we read these Old Testament stories, these are not righteous heroes that do everything right. These Old Testament heroes like Abraham, they're, they're folks just like you and me that make stupid decisions and do bad things, but God, by his grace, loves them and calls them to himself anyway. It's surely not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. So first of all, he's a merciful and faithful high priest because he's made like us. He's, he's lived through that same pain. You know, I was just talking a minute ago about how we've been let down 
by people. Jesus has been let down by people. Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus has been abused, and he knows what you have gone through. It's hard to understand this temptation, but we have to trust that he's lived through the pain and the difficulty that we have lived through. So he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so he might become a merciful, a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do we have a definition of propitiation here this morning? Anybody? Propitiation. It's a hard word to say. Oh, we got a, we got a scholar up front. The idea is that he is, he's turned away the Father's wrath. And some modern scholars don't really like that definition because they're like, oh, it sounds like God's mad all the time. And so let me explain it this way. If, have you ever been greatly sinned against to, to the degree to where you are righteously anger about that sin, about the terrible things that someone's done to you? That, that is right. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Evil is evil. And God's wrath is, is poured out against evil. And God is both just and the justifier. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. He, he is both righteous and holy, but he's also gracious. And the way that God made that work is by taking the, the price of his wrath upon himself, upon his son, Jesus. So when we talk about God's wrath being turned away, God's wrath being satisfied, we're not just talking about you know, just some willy-nilly, arbitrary, wrathful, angry God that's just kind of mad and zapping people left and right. No, this is a God who is angry at the injustice that's been done to you. Now it's uncomfortable because he's also angry about the justice that we've done or the injustice that we've done, right? And that makes it uncomfortable. He's not just angry at the injustice that's been done to you, but he's angry at the injustice that we've done as well. But through Christ, that's been paid for. He's made propitiation. He, he has paid for it. He has covered it. He has satisfied it. Not only by absorbing his, the punishment, again, by dying for us, but giving righteousness, by crediting our account with Jesus' goodness. And that's what propitiation means. He is our perfect substitute. He stood in our place and he satisfied God's justice. It says in verse 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I have a picture here from the movie The Passion. And this is a picture of Jesus crying out in the garden. It's, a, I think, a particularly like, moving, dramatic scene in that movie. It's at both the beginning and the end. And What we see here is, is Jesus suffering in the garden. And that doesn't even include, this is, you know, this is a dramatic representation of his suffering and his crying and his pleading and the pain that he went through. But he also went through all that other pain of, of 30 years of life on this earth, right? Of being abused, of being betrayed, of struggling physically. He, he suffered for us. And so it says in verse 18, because he has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. My, my question for you this morning is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he can intercede for you, that he can help you in those moments when you're tempted? Or again, do you just, you think you're all on your own? You think you're, you're abandoned and you've got to do it by yourself? I, I have to, I have to confess to you that I often struggle with that. I often think it's all up to me, that I am on my own. Because people have let me down, that I've just got to take care of it myself. But here in this verse it says, when you're tempted, he's able to help you. He, he suffered also. He's able to help you in those moments. 
that when you're tempted, run to him. You don't go, oh, you don't fill yourself with shame and think, I can't talk to God because I've been tempted by sin. No, he's been tempted too. And he prevailed. And again, that's, we can't wrap our brains around that, can we? I mean, that's, that's just a hard thing for us to comprehend, that, that Jesus would suffer, that Jesus would be tempted, but not sin. Because for us, we've sinned so much that we just we squeeze the two together, right? For us, so often, temptation means sin in our life. But somehow he has struggled and he has suffered and he's been tempted, but, but he, he got out. He survived. He, he uh, overcame that temptation. It says because he suffered, just as we have suffered, that he's someone that can help us in those moments when we're tempted, when we're being drawn towards something we know we shouldn't do. The first thing that I want to push you towards when you're tempted is, is to remember that Jesus conquered sin. I've seen this a lot with people that have conquered a drug addiction or a porn addiction, just knowing that Jesus has taken our place, just knowing that God sees you as holy and righteous and as his child and has really forgiven you. And his grace is, is for real. He really loves you. That begins to transform your ability to conquer temptation. We think counterintuitively that we should hold off and say, no, 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 forgiveness comes after you've conquered temptation. Now, forgiveness is for the sins that you've attempted or, or that you've done in the past. Forgiveness is also for the sins that you are doing right now. Forgiveness is for the sins that you will commit in the future. And by faith, Jesus took those sins upon himself. And so if you start there, if you remember that, that actually gives you extra strength in moments of temptation. Yeah, you've got to fight. You've got to push back against that temptation. But you have to start knowing that he's the trailblazer, that he has conquered it for you, that he took it upon himself, that he tasted death for everyone. The second thing that we need to remember is what it says right in this verse, in verse 18, that he understands. He sympathizes with you. He knows what you're going through. Again, that's hard for us to believe. We just think of him as removed, right? As, well, it was different for him. Here, the word is saying, no, he understands. He knows what you are going through. And then finally, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is, interestingly enough, a section much like Hebrews chapter 3, where it says, look at the old people, the Old Testament people, back in the Old Testament, and how they didn't trust God, and learn from their example, and trust God, because he's gracious. Trust him. Pay, pay attention when he speaks to you. Listen to him. Paul is kind of saying the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he speaks directly to this issue of temptation. And he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And I know we all like to think, well, it's different for me. You don't understand what I struggle with, right? I, I have those little voices in my head. Well, it's different. You know, my temptation is different. You don't know how hard my life is. Has been. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man, that it's not something we all struggle with. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. I confessed to the earlier service that I've never really liked this verse, because it sounds like we're responsible. It sounds like we can overcome temptation. That's a pretty scary idea. Is that scary for you? Maybe you're, maybe you're lying. I don't know. Maybe not. But that's scary to me. That, that's scary. That, that's a huge weight to me. But again, you have to go back to the beginning. Like I said, Jesus conquered it. He has forgiven us. We are free. The debt has been paid. And now he says in those moments of temptation, he will provide you a way out. 
He'll give you a way to run out the door. So when that temptation comes, yes, remember that he sees you and delights in you as his very own child. And remember that he has suffered too and he knows what it's like. So you can call on him then for help. He provides a way out. And I think when you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says he'll give you a way out along with the temptation. And when you combine that with, with Hebrews 2, 18, that says he's able to help you in your temptation, call on him. Ask him to help you. When, when the temptation comes, beg and plead for him to give you that way out, to help you and work and fight and push against it. I want to conclude just looking at the challenge in chapter 3. Just like we did last week, we were kind of look, focusing on chapter 2, and then we saw the therefore in chapter, we were focusing on 1, and then we saw the therefore in 2. Now we're focusing on 2, and we're going to look at the therefore in chapter 3. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. He says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Do not harden your hearts. Listen to him. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And if you were here with us when we were studying Exodus, we talked about this idea of, of the hardening of hearts and, and how there, there's different words that are used. And one of the words is just stiffen, you know, like we would use for harden. But uh, the other words were glorify, make weighty. Another word that's used quite often in the Old Testament is strengthen. And I believe what he's getting at here is the same warning we have in the New Testament about not relying on the strength of our own flesh. In that moment when you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Don't strengthen your own position and think, I'm good. I can do this. I don't need to listen to God. I, I don't need his help. I, I don't need his direction, but I can do this on my own. I'm strong enough and I can do it. He's saying, no, listen to him. Trust him that he will provide the way out, that he is your victory, that he is your champion. Yes, you must fight. Don't sit on the sideline. Yes, you must fight, but you're following him, the trailblazer, the champion, the better human that made the way for you. Trust in him, not in your own flesh, not in your own strength, not in your own heart. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. Thank you that you give us a way out of temptation. Father, I pray that, that we would be willing to just step up to the plate when temptation comes and be willing to fight it trusting that you give us a way out, but not fighting it thinking that we can do it on our own. Fighting it, following in your footsteps, calling on you to help us, trusting in you to be our trailblazer, to be our champion that will lead us out. Father, I pray for those this morning that have never come to trust in you for the first time. I pray that they would have a willingness to place their faith in you and your goodness and the provision that you've made through your son Jesus. You made propitiation for our sins. You satisfied your righteousness by taking our sin and giving us his goodness. And Lord, I pray for those that are drifting. You'd help us to pay more careful attention to the great salvation we have in Christ. We pray in his name.